and welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me via the static on an 80s floor model TV is La Urena. Uh, uh, how you doing, Urena? Seems like you got an extra uh, uh, spirit there with you today. Yes, I dragged the spirit of my uh, long-lost love, my hubby, with me because, as previously mentioned, if I can't be happy in death, he can't be happy alive. So here we are all together uh, also, just throwing out there, I mean, it's basically like a crossover. We got Blue Collar BS, our old network, up in here, the hub. So, yeah, we're, we're here. We're ready. We're ready to do some podcasting. Yes. <laughs> Wife is always right. Yep. Yes. That is correct. He is not being forced to say that at all. Not at all. Well, uh, heeding the advice of that creepy evangelist over the, the hill hole in his church, we finally put Satan behind us. Well, mostly. Um, this season, titled Haunted Homes and Haunted Hearts, we will be discussing ghosts, spirits, and haints, as the old-timers here in Appalachia call them. A subject I'm sure Urena knows a thing or two about, since she's been dead for a long time. Absolutely, and I think it goes without saying that there are definitely going to be some horrors in this house. Eh? <laughs> Zing. But <laughs> I'm um, the film that we opened the season with is the is a certified classic. It's the 1982 uh, Toby Hooper question mark film uh, spook show known as uh, Poltergeist. Um, but before we go toward the light, uh, a bit of bod- a podcast business. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, make sure to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. It increases our visibility, and we really appreciate it. Um, and now back to the show. Um, I had three things I wanted to bring up before we go into Attack of the Bees, which is tied into the episode specifically this time. Um, the three movies that I saw recently, um, have you, have either of you, how, have either of you seen Bivarium? Have you? It sounds familiar. Can, okay. Can, can you... It's, it's, it's uh, got uh, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Imogen Poots. Uh, they're like this uh, young couple that's going house hunting for the first time, and they're going to be moving in together, and they get trapped in suburban hell, basically, whenever they actually go to the location of their newest home that they're looking to purchase. Okay, so that's a no, because he looks a little confused, <laughs> but he's seen a lot of movies, so that's why he had to ask. What, the, I, I know Jesse Eisenberg kind of, throws me to think I might have saw it at one point. <laughs> it's yep. it's kind of an odd movie. It's like it's it's a lot of metaphors, but like I mean they're they're pretty blatant metaphors about I mean the guy who directed this or wrote it or or whatever, he clearly does not like the domestic or the idea of the domesticated life. Well it, um, is it done in the print it's is it done through the lens of more of a comedic or is it as poor B or is it actually a serious it's structure. it's very serious. It's okay. like I mean, there's there's not any comedy to it at all. I mean, and it's it's not really. I don't even know if I consider it a horror movie necessarily because it's it's horror horrific in the sense of what it is about and what it means for life in general. But it's I mean, like you're you're just watching this couple. They're like they cannot escape this. They 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 get caught in this suburban neighborhood, which all the houses look the same. Um, the only thing different is the door numbers, uh, and their specific one is nine for whatever reason. There might be some symbolism there, but um, and they can't get out of it. They can't escape. I mean, the the sky looks the same. Every day is the same, which is kind of you know part of the metaphor. And they're given this note that, that says cryptically raised and a baby's in a box and they're like, raised a child and you, you oh, are in your escape. I, I, I had this movie. I never watched it. Okay. 
So I, I know what you're talking um, about. They're they're basically transplanted into the environment. Yes, they they, they yeah. There, there's no way they can get out of it, and it's basically a metaphor for like modern life. It's like you're expected to buy the house, raise the kid, yeah, work yourself to death, and, and die. So and that's much, literally what it's about. There's so much truth to that to that scenario. That scenario is the whole idea of the rat race is a, the brutal reality of a lot of things. Man. It, it, it is. It's, I mean, it, it's it's yeah. it's a struggle. It's it's the twenty first century's man struggle of you're removing the nature aspect of it, where you're it's a struggle to nature, and you get the modern version of that where it's to grind. Yeah, but I think yeah. this is like takes more of a horrific tur- uh, turn or twist. Yeah, but but that but well, that's more true than people realize. Well, and the and the and one of the horrific things in this, and I and I want to spoil this just because I think the metaphor is so like cynical, but like so good, is that literally Jesse, like his character, he's he's trying to be, he, he's a gardener by trader wants to be, so like he has nothing else to do, he can't stand the kid, like the kid's like driving him nuts. It's not hit, I mean, it's not his kid anyways. And so, like, he, he leaves Imogen to, to raise the child, and while he goes out to work, quote-unquote, and all day, every day, he, he's trying to find uh, a way out of the, you know, the subdivision, uh, and so he digs a hole. Like, he thinks that maybe if he tunnels out of it, well, basically, he, he digs and digs and digs until his whole body wears down, until he has no energy left in him, and then he finally dies, and, and, and basically the son that they raise when he grows up just chucks his body into the dirt and covers him up, and, and that's his contribution. He, he worked until he died just to support this kid that didn't care and threw him and chucked him in the clay anyways. See, that's so dead on. Like if, if you, no, let, 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 let me let me give some qualifiers for that. If you live in California or a major city, that is a very dead on mentality. Yeah, you basically work until you die. No, but that idea that your parents have put the effort in to raise you, and then you turn around, and you crap on them. Like it, I'm serious, dude. If you lived in California or like in a major hub, that is very much the mindset. That's so true. It's more true than you want to realize. I don't know what it is in the state you're from, but California, that hits a little close to home. Well, it's, I don't feel like it's as bad here. There's still the mentality of try to, you know, respect your elders, try to take care of, but I mean, it's getting worse over time, especially with drug use and stuff like that, where, I mean, you've got literally grandmothers that like, you know, 30 years old that, you know, are raising their grandchildren and, you know, and their kids don't care about them because they're out, you know, basically overdosing. So it's getting to that point just for another reason. The the thing with that, like, I understand the whole principle of respect your elders because it's consolidated wisdom, but there's a lot of dumb adults in California. So (laughs) that whole idea of respecting your elders falls a little flat for me. Like, I understand that, but man, like, there's plenty of old people that, that disprove that knowledge of consolidated knowledge all day long. Oh, I, I'm I pretty. I actually want to see that movie now. I'm pretty interested. No, he's gonna make me watch it later today. <laughs> what? Like <laughs> the one you. thing that I, I would say on the other side is Imogen. Like her horrific moment is she's dying at one point in it. The sun zips her up. Uh, she she starts to say something. He unzips it long enough to hear her. She says, what was my purpose? He literally says, you were a mother. You were meant to raise me, and now you can die. And he zips her up and throws her in there with Jesse. Uh, that's <laughs> like so, an ungrateful-ass fucking kid. That's, that's a dark glimpse into the future of, of how people operate. Do you see why La Yarina, like murdered her children? She was like, no, thank you. 
I know what's going to happen. Yeah, They're going to overthrow me. Yeah. <laughs> grateful little bastards. Especially the girl. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. All right. But, Mo- moving as, forward. But as far as as far as the movie, I'd give it a three out of five. I mean, it's it's a little tedious. And like I said, it's really artsy and the w- way it's going about it. But, man, that message is just uh, horrific. Um, the next movie that I saw, and I literally just saw this yesterday, was the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie. I hell want to see this. <sighs> I'm torn on this one because if I was giving, if it wasn't for the last third of the movie, uh, and might even be the last fourth, it just kind of depends. I would probably give it like a two and a half. It's decent. I mean, I would watch it again, but it's not like something I would go back to. It's not like the original Ghostbusters in that sense where it's like a, you know, five out of five would watch it all the time. You know, it's just a perfect movie. Yeah. Even Um, the second Ghostbusters is a good movie. In my opinion, I love the second Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah, I love it too. I know a lot of people shit on it, but I mean, really? Yeah. They, in general, the the horror community. it's not. They're not horror yeah. movies. Well, not horror, but it's still like a. It's still a scary movie without people review, and it doesn't get good. Oh yeah, watch the new Ghostbuster girl movie, oh. and then watch the old <laughs> one, and tell me how bad the second one was. Hey, you we're might just, have a different. Opinion. We're not talking about our opinion on it. We all in this spirit room collectively agree that Ghostbusters Two is a good movie, but yeah. Yeah, um, this one is weird because it ignores the second movie completely, like it didn't exist. Wow! And it it, it takes a a weird take on the on the movie, like on the what happened afterward. I mean, I'm not going to spoil what happened to get to where they're at, but basically they all split up, and and it gives the reason why in the movie. But like Egon's been like living, you know, like a hermit in like this weird, like I don't know if it's like Al. Arizona, Colorado, like some place it's like, you know, near like a, a desert looking area. But like he's uh like been living there for like you know, ever since the the eighties, whenever they had their heyday, and like waiting for like this big event to happen, uh, for Gozer to come back basically, and and it's like he was trying to prevent it and nobody else believed him. It's basically the setup for the movie. You know what? Um, uh, that was probably the best course of any tie in for a movie is completely ignore the ignore the trash one. Like you just act like they, uh, if Star Wars took the approach and they yeah. launched a new movie and they disregard the last three they made, they probably have a pretty good franchise. They're gonna too. try to do that in the future. Hopefully. I've heard they're trying to do that. Yeah, because so, they're let's like pretend that none of this happened. Just kidding, everybody. Just kidding. It's, it's like the Spider-Man movies. Like when they went off the rails, you just try to ignore what happened. Like, oh, don't look at that. All right, Reverend, I'm gonna ask a question. I need you to be brutally honest with me. Yes. Is it a slow burn? For me. Uh, it is not a slow burn. It, okay. It's it's interesting in the sense that they basically recreate the old group, but with children okay. in this one. See, that sounds awesome. Um, it, it does, yeah. Does it have that 80s nostalgic feel to a degree or like an old that's, reminiscence? That's the part that's missing. It's, okay. It doesn't. Oh. Like it, it's it didn't hit. It's, the, it's fine, yeah. yeah. It didn't hit like Stranger Things did a good job well, of it. Well, they have that actor from Stranger Things, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because Stranger Th- it's got a Stranger Things feel in the sense that, you know, that actor's in it and it's about kids, but it doesn't hit that 80s nostalgia like, you know, okay. the that, that movie or that show did. That might be a smart move because that seems to be things that are a lot of people are doing right now in their movies because there's nothing else great going on well no because the 80s is a weird era where you don't have enough technology that that you, you can leave a lot of mystery to everybody's complex oh yeah underhand. like now with modern technology you can you know when someone's doing something underhanded motive because there's cameras and information abundant back in the 80s it was limited so you can have more diabolical things happening with people not knowing it gives you a lot of a bigger framework to work with to build more of that tension and suspense. 
Uh, I, I completely agree in that. I mean, it, you know, if that's the reason that the eighties worked so well, as far as like horror movies, because it's like the technology was limited enough, but there where they could, they could get away with, you know, like some of these things like Ghostbusters were, you know, the futuristic tech, you know, like the, the proton packs and all that. But at the same time, you didn't have the cell phone issue where you could just call up help and you got to work around that and all the, all the other things they've got to deal with now. Um, the McKenna Grace, who plays uh, Phoebe, which is e- Egon Spangler's granddaughter in this, is uh, she's probably the highlight of the movie because she literally, it like it's almost like she's doing a perfect imitation of Egon, but as a as a young girl, it's 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 she's just great in it. Like she even looks the part. Very analytical, all rational type of type yeah of person. she uh, yeah has all that stuff like you know there's one point where the other one of the other kids a podcast who's kind of a stand-in for uh, ray or dan Aykroyd's character is uh like talking to her and like he's like aren't you excited she's like oh i'm very excited but i just it's on the inside like you know she's like i, I don't i can't show emotions <laughs> oh my god and i can see they have the the sexiest man alive right now the sexiest goof alive is in this playing gruber so who he Paul Rudd. Oh, he's oh, Paul's cur- in He's it? currently the sexiest man alive right now. He's Are you serious? It. Yes, yeah, through pe- through people and like, there's all these memes and all these funny. That's why I showed you that video last night. Of you know them. what's the funny thing about Paul Rudd is I bet when he was doing um um what's that movie he did with Alicia Silverstone? Clueless. Um, I bet he had no idea his career when he got Mm-mm. older was gonna do as good as it did. He says he says it all the time. Yeah, like it, his whole career turned around. In his older years, like he can't massively. Even, he can't even take the sexiest man alive title serious. Like he is, he can't handle it. He's like, I, this, I, why? <laughs> like, See, one of my favorite movies he did is a comedy. It's the one he did with the girl, uh, the married couple, the spinoff. This is 40? Yeah. Okay. That is hilarious. That movie, to me, I laugh because that's so dead on to a lot of relationships. Shut up. <laughs> what? Stop talking now. Cut the mic. <laughs> Um, he's, I don't know what to think about, uh, Paul Rudd in this because I, I mean, he's, he's enjoyable for what, what he, he's in it, but like, he doesn't contribute anything. His character is like the least interesting character in the movie. Yeah. I, I, uh, I kind of heard that. So I'm like, why did they put him in though? So no purpose. He, he's the. He's the Lewis Tully of the movie, but without Rick Moranis's, like, you know, like, that's one thing that people don't appreciate about Rick Moranis. Like, even though Lewis Tully was basically just, like, a non-character that kind of just lived next door and, you know, like, and ended up being, you know, the, the key master, like, he he stands out enough due to just, like, his persona, like, you know, in that, in that original movie. Paul just kind of blends into the scenes. Like, that's the problem with him in this movie. Like, he's got the that side character, but, like, he doesn't have the Rick Moranis, like, you know, yeah. personality to kind of, like, stand out in the role. To be fair, at the time, they didn't know he was going to be the sexiest man alive, okay? So... Well, I wonder if they got him in there just for name recognition on the movie. No, because they have so they have all almost all the main characters. They even have Annie Potts in yeah, the movie. Yeah, but they didn't have the sexiest man alive. They technically <laughs> had him in the film. They just didn't know he was the sexiest oh, man alive knew. at the time. They knew. The, yeah, maybe, maybe they want him for a pretty face. But, I mean, you got Bill Murray, you got Dan Aykroyd, you got uh, Ernie oh. Hudson, oh, I Sigourney didn't, Weaver. I didn't realize the original cast. Yeah, so okay. they didn't need oh, yes. Paul Rudd, if we're being honest. Yeah, because technically, that's the part that makes the movie. Well, technically, is the fact that they're in it. The the original guys died in the other one, in the girls' one. The the dudes got killed. Bill Murray got killed. Maybe they're pretending like that never happened. Like we all yeah, should. Yeah, they're they're going a different route with this because uh, you know obviously they had to you know Harold Ramis passed away before the movie. 
And so they have, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of have him like when he's still alive, quote unquote, at the beginning of the movie, they have him in like shadow, like his character. So you don't really see his face. It's just somebody standing in for him. But there is, they, they bring, they keep him in the movie as a ghost, which oh. is what they originally were going to do with Peter Vankman. You just can't see him for most of the movie. Oh, interesting. But they, but they do bring him back. And that's in the last fourth of the movie or third or whatever that I was talking about. And that scene is so, it's actually one of those scenes that they did so well. And it's such a tribute to Harold Ramis that it it actually, I mean, if you have any kind of horror, you know, whatsoever, it kind of brings a tear to your eye, especially when you see, you know, the original cast come back at that scene and they acknowledge him and they kind of give him that wink, like, you know, good seeing you, buddy, you know, that sort of thing. You're basically feeling the nostalgia. I, I yes, used to and that, love the, all the Ghostbusters, like the cartoon, the Ghostbuster cartoon Oh, my series. God, that was so good. I think the Reverend and I talked about that. That is such a good cartoon series. I, and I that, too. But, like, yeah, most cartoons back then didn't have, like, a, a linear timeline. But the Ghostbusters had an overall, like, there's an overall arch linear narrative or shows, like, a major catastrophic breakdown of the containment system. But... It, it, it's not a linear, linear story frame, but there's enough where it makes one. Well, as an adult, you, you see that, but as a kid, you don't care. You just know you're watching something exciting. No, I know, I know, but as an adult, you could re-watch it oh, and yeah. it's entertaining. Well, just like I was watching Beetlejuice the other day and the kids loved it. It was It's one of those cartoons. We had awesome cartoons basically in the 80s. This is why all the movies keep going back to the 80s. Well, cause they, but they don't even make Sunday morning, they don't make Saturday morning cartoons anymore. You have the big push from all the people... Saying this, it's corrupting kids' heads. Let me put them on the computer all day long instead. Like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> well, that's why I'm going to make a plug right now. And we are not sponsored, but Pluto, if you would like to sponsor our show, they have the after school cartoons oh, channel. No kidding. Yeah. All so the old have... school animated Batman and stuff like that. Yeah. Sabrina. Remember? Well, we never, I didn't watch Sabrina as a kid, Neither but the kids I. were watching that. They're watching um, Tales from the Crypt. Cartoon? I've seen Benny watch that. Yeah, and so it's got those type of cartoons. I'm surprised it doesn't have Ghostbusters, and I'm sad it doesn't have Ghostbusters or Beetlejuice. I don't know why they wouldn't, but yeah. It's. I mean, I, I, my favorite thing about the go, the real Ghostbusters because there was like this other Ghostbusters cartoon that like I only found about out about whenever I was an adult. That's based on some kind of weird like seventies like detective agency that was almost like Scooby Doo or something. But, yeah. Um, uh, and they had an ape or a gorilla as one of their members. Really weird. But, oh, um, that sounds horrible. <laughs> it was. I was going to make a um, big, but, after, like, off-handed joke, but I figured I shut my mouth for a second. You, got, you have to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but anyways the the real ghostbusters the thing i remember about whenever i was a kid is just that i liked it because like they were they they treated the, like the actual show like seriously like there was like i mean they, they made it almost horrific at times like you know i, I remember you know like some of the monsters and like there was like uh, i mean just the the settings were like these like one of them was like this dark foreboding like castle or whatever that they had to investigate and it wasn't like scooby-doo where it was kind of like just goofy and you know i mean they really you know like there was some danger built into it you know obviously they always won but you know there's one, one episode those, uh, from the real ghostbusters that really stood out to me it was um it was a one it was a vampire werewolf war and they happened to stumble into it accidentally and it was a girl that got him into it. The girl was a vampire, but they didn't know she was a vampire. And they ended up in the middle of this war where it was rough. Like there was, like they were tearing each other apart. It was one of the few episodes where it went from ghosts to real life scenarios of like, of like uh, theoretical like monsters. It was a pretty cool episode. What? Nothing. I'm I'm uh, agreeing. <laughs> 
that, that was the thing though that I, that I liked about that show in particular. And, and I, I don't know, like this, this movie to me, like the, the stuff with the kids is interesting. And like I said, it, it was, it was probably like a two and a half, you know, out of five or something, whenever I was watching that, but they really kick up, like whenever they really start tying into the, like the mythology from the original movie with Gozer and, and start bringing back some of that stuff toward the end of the movie. And then they, especially when they bring in the original cast, uh, in, in their suits and everything, it bumped it up to at least a three and a half at that point. If it, but I, I just kind of, if it wasn't for that last part, I don't think I would be looking on it as fondly. Uh. Oh my God. Olivia Wilde played Gozer. She, uh, yeah. And she actually does a really good job. I mean, like you can tell it's her whenever they zoom in on her face, mm-hmm. but like, you know, when she first materializes, she looks almost exactly like that actress from the original movie. Wow. Okay. Oh um, my God. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Oh Lord! Uh, yeah. So, but anyways, that, that's what I mean. It, it's worth watching. Uh, I, they they put the ghost corpse, uh, you know, like C O R P S, uh, like logo in front of the movie. So it almost makes me think that it's like the start of something different because they they talked about it for years, like having branches of Ghostbusters, like in each. You know, that was one of their storylines they were thinking about coming up with. Like each state had their own set of Ghostbusters. It'd be interesting if that if this kind of like spurs that or something. Oh, see. If they did that, that gives them a huge framework to get really creative with different ideas. They're li- uh, they're li- it also gives them the opportunity to fuck shit up, and not in a good way. <laughs> no, because, well, that's true. But the idea gives you a big framework where you can have complex stories that are always changing with different characters. And at that point, you can make a show. Yeah, yeah but every season would be a new major city. And that'd be fine. I'd be fine with that, but I hope they don't do movies. It, well, it would never get dull, though, because you would always be changing the cast dynamic. Which sometimes, if you if you have a stagnant cast, like American Horror Story, to a degree was was good, but it, it got repetitive because the characters were so. Even though it was like a different character, the actress or actor made, or I could just say actors in general made it. Well, not that. But it's like I know who this person is, and they're basically playing the same character with a different name. And then, but not that. But the story premises got super absurd. Like the hotel one lost me. I was like, come on, what are we doing? But other than that, that. That's an example of it, but it'd be awesome to to reframe it in different scenarios. Every every season has like a a major bad guy, and, and then you could frame the cast around the structure of the the idea or the that. location. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. that I mean, that actually be pretty cool. And and Dan Aykroyd is extremely invested in in this even to this day. So him and Harold Ramis both were, uh, you know, up up till you know obviously is passing away. But like uh, Dan Aykroyd would totally be on board in the scenario you're talking about to like be the tie-in between each season, like maybe meet up with each franchisee or something or provide like, cause he, they set it up in the movie that he's still working at the uh, cult bookstore. So he could be like, kind of like, so, this is for supernatural fans, the Bobby, you know, that sits oh in like gives them the information they need, you know, over the phone basically. Yeah. I mean, you all, you, you, you kind of need those characters. You need somebody that knows everything or has access yeah. to all the information. Specializes in the occult. Yeah. Yeah, and, and kind of like, you know, whenever they get in and over their heads, which they're going to, like they did in this movie, you know, they're kids, but like, you know, say even if they're adults and they're like, I don't know what this is, it's like, well, let me look it up and, you know, whatever, the handbook for oh, this or whatever. If so. there's anything Sam and Dean taught us is they need somebody like that. Oh, my God. I you shut it over there. <laughs> See, I, I, um, I, I got a part of me likes when the good guys don't win sometimes. Like, I, yeah, I, there's a little guilty, guilty pleasure well, in that, that, that for sure. Too, but it, even to even even if it's not like structured as a good guy, if 
if the anti-hero person wins too. Like that's the reason Deadpool did so good. It's not so much of a hero position, it's an anti-hero position. Where it's the bad guy doing the right thing sometimes also is like you can you can get but really But it's to their benefit. Usually. Well, I mean, Deadpool killed off a ton of people accidentally when they were parachuting in. Eh, that wasn't to anybody's benefit. <laughs> semantics, semantics, okay? But um, you all have anything else to say about Ghostbusters? No, because we, we have on. not seen thought, it, and yeah, we need to watch it. <laughs> yeah, we might watch it today, and then she said that. I've, it's, I've it's, wanted it's, to see, you know what I'm excited for is the new Matrix. I'm hoping that is going to be awesome. Comes we hope out, so, too, but that's not a horror film. I know. I'm just, <laughs> hey. <laughs> look, 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 it does start, look, look, it stars a, a two time alum, though, for the, the podcast. So, Keanu, keep yes. doing it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Keanu. I'm a huge Keanu Reeves fan. I was, dude, I've been <laughs> watching him since back in the day, man. We all have. Man, you just um, pour water on me all day long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did drown you. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, wife is right. The the last movie I want to discuss before we get into the Attack of the Bees for this episode is uh, Last Night in Soho. It's the Edgar Wright film um, oh. that recently Have you seen came it? out. I hell want to see. I see. I love artistic movies like that. Like Cold. I don't know if you ever watched Cold War. That that was an awesome art rendered, uh, art inspired type the, theatric. And Soho has a lot of those undertones of that of of that art of that filming type of design. I, I hell want to see that. I've I've not seen the movie you're referencing, but it really is. It's like it's it's all about the artistry. He he. It's like the, Edgar Wright's taking like everything that he's that he's good at, uh, except maybe even maybe the comedy. Although there's a little bit in there, but like it's it's very minimal. It's not like Shaun of the Dead, but like he's taking all the visual art style that like he's known for and like really amped it up for this movie. Like he he's showing like a love for like the 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 '60s era, like you know like clothing and like the the culture and all that and like really throwing it into this movie you know uh, as part of like the backdrop for what's going on it's set in modern times but there is a way that he works it in uh through the main character thomas and mckenzie uh, mckenzie um who is is basically i mean just to give it a little away a little bit because it's in the beginning of the movie she's she's supposed to be a psychic so like when her like her grandmother's warning her about moving into London, you know, about her, like maybe she'll get overwhelmed because there's so much, you know, psychic energy there that it might, you know, it might be too much for her because there's the hint at the beginning of the movie that the, her mother maybe had the same thing going on and, and her mother committed suicide oh, uh, while she was in London. And so, uh, and, and, and at the beginning of the movie, she say, she say, she's one of the reasons she's giving that she wants to go to London is so that she doesn't have to be reminded of her mother all the time because she's actually seeing her mother you know, as a as a spirit, in other words, like the beginning of the movie. So that's kind of the setup for it. Oh, so she's but, she's actually that that the clips you see in the commercials is her mother, where she she's when you go back to the the sixties era. Is what no, no, that's di- that's the difference here. Okay, uh, her okay. mother. That's not that's not her mother. Uh, uh, it's funny because Thomason ends up through her dreams go- becoming Anya Taylor Joy's character. And it's like this uh, young ingenue who's just moved into the city. She's trying to make her, you know, like her big debut as like a singer, uh, you know, performer, that sort of thing. And it and and the movie kind of follows that along. And it's got like a really tragic story. Like, I mean, she's a young, good-looking woman. You know, there's there's people ready to take abuse, you know, use and abuse that that whole scenario. And you know, and and that's kind of where it goes from. 
Um, would would and, you call her young ingenue? Yeah, they, the ingenue. That's what they call them. Like you know, like the the, the uh, it's like a phrase for like so, like somebody who's like an up and comer, like somebody who's oh. got like this talent or persona about them that really you it's know code like, word is, for we can exploit them. Out. Yeah, it's basically code word for we can exploit this person. Is what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's what they're. I mean, that's kind of what you're following along the movie, and that's where I, I wouldn't say the movie's horrific in in the sense of like you know the actual movie itself. It's not going to. There's no jump scares. It's not going to scare you. But Ew. as you watch like what's what's happening and you see what's going on, it's horrific in like the real world. Like you know, watching the the fall basically of this character while Thomason's basically having to live through all of this. She's like, living vicariously she's, I mean, through. Uh, uh, not Thomason. See, that's fucked up that they have a Thomason and Anya Taylor Joy in this. That that's what I think is really weird because Anya Taylor Joy obviously I is Thomason. Yeah, the, yeah, she was Thomason in the in the witch, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> the Vivich. But um, but uh, and then you have um, uh, Matt Smith. You know, one one of the doctors and Doctor Who. Uh, he plays her basically her manager that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of the darkest roles I've seen him in. He might have been in in, uh, in worse. I've not seen a lot, uh, you know, a lot of his stuff outside of Doctor Who, but it's pretty dark. Ah, uh, yes, he was in the Crown, as... and that was not dark at all. But he played a very mean Prince Philip. <laughs> uh, I wanted the the Crown made me want to punch that guy. Watching him, uh, yeah, he yeah. was just yep. talk about. Oh, no, you should have seen him the first season, which is this about, character. Yeah, Matt talk Smith. about no backbone. Like, oh, my God. I think that's why in the first season he, he cheated on the queen a lot and everything. Like, Dude, yeah. yeah. No backbone with her, but other bitches. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, what, wait until you see him in Last Night in Soho. You you want to do more than uh, just, you know, punch him. I mean, you want to probably castrate him. and See, but all that know, means uh, is that that actor did an amazing job of selling you. Yes. On how, what a piece of shit I am. Very good actor, yeah. for sure. Um, I'm going to be real honest with you. While you two are like, oh, this is the type of movie I'm like, it's like, for me, you know, that's like. You hate artistic. Oh, yeah. yeah. It sounds like an absolute snooze fest for me. See, but, I, but you got to entertain the idea that. That someone was able to take an idea in their head and then put it into full display into a movie structure. That's what the art side of it, that's amazing. And that's fine. Yeah, look at it as the lens of a book. Someone took an idea and put it into words in such an amazing manner. Fine, but I'm going to complain the whole time. Yeah, you are. Where's all the explosions? Like, okay, calm down now. No one well, has really died horrifically. I, I, she's not joking. That is a hundred. If I watch anything with any type of structure of a good storyline, it's like, oh my god, this. Ugh, I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs> That's what I get. Well, and, and the thing about this one is, it's. I mean, it's the combination of like his is working the the period music into the movie. His vision, his art style is the main thing. Like the fact that he's doing this is like a dream sequence. He can he really uses that to his advantage to make like the the camera angles like you know more you know flashy and artistic the way that you know the way that he like you know fades the scenes in and out and the way he works like the you know the stuff inside the dream it really, it allows him to expand quite a bit yeah and on, I like, do what a he's already into I do appreciate a period piece too so I I will say that 
Um, but I mean, without giving away much more about it than what I have, which is more than that I would have preferred to honestly to going into it just, but I mean, I know some people kind of want to know what it's about. Cause it's, you see the cover and you don't, it don't really give anything away. Um, it's a five out of five. I love this movie. Wow. I mean, I'm going to buy certified it as soon fresh. as like, I have the option. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Certified well, fresh. Well, we have it right now. I did, we just haven't watched it. You can't um, say that on air. I, I, correction. <laughs> I would definitely recommend it. Over in I the like Netherlands, it. I have this right now. <laughs> I, I like that one. That makes it legal. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to edit that. Yeah. Everybody get a seed box. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, let's go head on to Attack of the Bees. I'll cue the music. Mm, oh, my God. So... So this uh, attack of the bees is going to be poultry geist, not poltergeist, but poultry geist. Oh yeah, I watched um, that the Beetlejuice cartoon. You liar! <laughs> I did watch it. You, you saw me watch it with the kids. You didn't watch the movie. I didn't. And watch that the episode movie. was a train wreck. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> this is not the the Beetlejuice the animated show uh, episode that Urena is mentioning. Uh, this is the 2006 horror musical from uh, the infamous director lloyd kaufman who is favorite uh, the director <laughs> he's aw- this dude is an awesome individual i love lloyd kaufman dude he, he's one of the guys that will put anything out there he doesn't care like hey i think this would be fun to put out let's do it like i, I don't know if you know who zach amico is he, he does legion of skanks but he also helps direct a lot of lloyd kaufman's movies for trauma and stuff like that and he and oh, like and he has the the Zach Amico's Midnight Spook show that comes on every uh, Friday, and they 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 play old school horror movies and they talk about them. But he's super trashy, just like Lloyd Kaufman. So it's hilarious. Well, no wonder you like him. He did the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. Oh my God, that's like his favorite movie in the world, dude. That's a classic. It, it is a classic, and actually, it's been referenced in several James Gunn movies because this world wouldn't have James Gunn as a director if it wasn't for Lloyd Kaufman. Let's give the man credit for that, too, because um, he gave uh, James Gunn his start in movies. Now, obviously, James Gunn's moved on to bigger things, but, I mean, he, no. he still... he. He 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 still gives credit where it's due. He has Lloyd Kaufman in his movies. He was Kaufman was in the newest uh, Suicide Squad that that James Gunn did. Oh, see, I haven't uh, watched suppo- that yet. And supposedly the Toxic Avengers in there in like a just blink and you miss it type scene. Hmm. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah, and he said it was really really good too. Yeah, I, I, we, it, we, we haven't watched it. We got it, but we haven't watched it yet. Well, it's 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 good because I mean it's really good because it's. If you if you watch Slither, uh, which you know James Gunn did, it was a, one of his movies he did right before he you know got into the you know the big Marvel movies and all that. It's it's got his uh, trauma level uh, sense of humor, but and and dark humor at that. Like that, the Suicide Squad has all that. Like he re- he brought it. I mean, it, that's why I said when I was doing the interview, it's it feels like the best amalgamation of what James Gunn is is because you still get that like that trauma level humor uh, and like dark sensibility about things, but you get in a superhero movie, which he obviously wasn't allowed to do with the guardians because, you know, they're like, yeah, we're Disney. We can't do that. You know? So <laughs> see, I didn't realize he did slither that I love that movie. I didn't like the end of it. I thought the end, the end did a horrible job of putting a bow on it, but overall the movie itself was awesome. Like I, I didn't realize that was a James Gunn movie. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> 
I, I agree with you. The ending of it uh, leaves is not like my favorite, but just like and and, and the movie itself is a rip off of several movies. I oh mean, yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah. David Cronenberg movie, you know, where they've got slugs in it. There's, uh, you know, obviously Night of the Creeps. That's one of my favorite movies. Big uh, time. That's, that's Big got that time. scenario. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, Night of, Night of the Creeps is an, a classic 80s movie, man. That The whole fell prom where they all become semi-slug zombies. My favorite line in that movie, this is a tangent, but I have to say it is Tom Atkins, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, uh, girls, uh, good news, your dates are here. The bad Yo. news is they're dead. <laughs> oh, my God. That is a classic phrase. Yeah, it's that old dude with the mustache, man, that was uh, out fighting on the front line, not, like executing everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and that movie had a good ending, too, man. That was an awesome ending yeah. for that movie. Like, well, I'm trying to think. He got infected, and he was, like, burnt burnt half alive and then he ended up collapsing at the uh the graveyard i think or something like that trying yeah, to remember how uh, it ended. actually uh you're, you're right like there, there's that but i think like the main end of the movie like they they get rid of all of them or they think they do they think they and do. spoiler alert for night of the creeps like there's a little dog that like has been throughout the whole movie that some woman has and like it, it and she's like oh come here you know, whatever, and like she's looking at her dog, and like one of the slugs jumps out of its mouth or yeah. its eye or whatever, like into hers, and it's like saying it's going to start all over again. Oh, okay. Well, at least the dog didn't die. Yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> that's a that's a good <laughs> horror movie. It really is. Um, now, <laughs> this movie, on the other hand, I will get into it, but let's let's go through our principal players in this. We've got Jason Yacannon, who's playing Arby. Who is the hero? Question mark. Uh, we've got Kate Graham, who's playing Wendy, who's the lesbian love interest? Question mark. Uh, Allison's uh, Saraboff, who plays Mickey, who's the uh, lesbian villain. Uh, Caleb Emerson, who plays Carl Jr., who's the <laughs> hillbilly stereotype and the broomstick penis guy. Oh my God! <laughs> you can't say it's not hard. Gonna- <laughs> That's the kind of movie we're getting in this, people. Uh, Khalid Rivera is uh, is playing Paco Bell, who's a gay human rights fighter and a loose meat sandwich. That is a <laughs> hilarious character. How can you not laugh about that? Paco <laughs> Bell. That's awesome. Paco Paco Bell. And Carl Jr.? Carl Jr.? They're, they're all, na- they're all yeah. names of restaurants. Even Mickey is like, you know, Mickey D's, obviously. Oh, my, wind- oh my uh, God. <laughs> I wish I would have. Re- I wish I w- we had this, but I didn't rewatch it. But I watched it way back in the day when it came out. Oh my god! It- I remember. <laughs> I was I was there, but I didn't continue watching. The intro it, of the movie is the best. It has the we'll get into that over the top intro. <laughs> Uh, we have a Rose, uh, and I don't know how to say this name, Gavami, yeah. uh, who's playing Hummus, uh, who is the hot <laughs> suicide bomber. And yes, it's very un-PC people. Uh, Joshua uh, Olatunde, who's playing Denny, the black veteran stereotype. Um, Robin Watkins, who's General Leroy, who's the Colonel Sanders ripoff. <laughs> and the basic synopsis i'm just gonna lay it out for you a love spurned high school graduate begins work at a fast food chicken restaurant that was built on an ancient indian burial ground the spirits of the pissed off natives begin possessing chickens and then corrupting the food which turns everyone who eats it into psychotic chicken zombies random songs happen along the way uh there's and there's not much more that goes on other than that uh, or well there actually there's a lot more that goes on other than that but i mean as far as like the plot that's pretty much it 
Uh, it's very un-PC and uh, would definitely be canceled today. Like, there's no way they would get by with it in today's censor society. And uh, to me, it is a, almost a perfect time capsule of post-9-11 George W. Bush America. Like, it, it really is. Like, Lloyd Kaufman had an axe to grind with this movie. So it was basically, it, it was ahead of its time. <laughs> it... It goes places that, I mean, I've never seen a movie. Uh, Noah, why don't you uh, give us like your, the beginning of the movie. You wanted to go in on that. High cast. It's so like if, the, the intro of it. Kind of. See, I, I haven't seen it so long. If I remember the intro, some dude shows up and he gets chicken and eats it. And then he has to go to the bathroom and I forgot <laughs> what happens, but it goes, he like turns into something else. Like I remember it's so over the top how it goes. See, I I, I wish I would have watched it because I would it would have refreshed all my memory about it. But I remember okay, it's almost so over the, the top scene. <laughs> so the main intro of the movie is a little bit before that. It's like it's it shows Arby getting it on with Wendy, their high school sweethearts. They're in a cemetery because that's that's obviously where you have sex. Absolutely. Um, yeah, every zombie the, movie proves that. <laughs> and. He's dry humping her. He's getting ready to to actually enter her. Uh, the spirits there in the cemetery start getting freaky because they're getting turned on. So they start, like, popping their hands up out of the ground. And uh, one of them is trying to find Wendy's uh, special place but ends up going into Arby's butthole. And uh, the finger breaks off inside of him. And... <laughs> And then a pervert comes in randomly and is whacking it while they're while he's watching them, and that scares Wendy off, and then leaves poor Arby with blue balls, and that's how the movie starts. Yeah, that's um, that's so fake because he's got a finger up his butthole. We know he he can do perfectly fine. Well, he keeps the finger, and he and and he even he brings it up to her like years later, whenever she's in college, and like he he never went on because his parents, when his mother, I forget how they phrase his mother's retarded, he says, and his dad's just like a bum or something. But anyway, that's what makes so this movie he, awesome that you can that they were able to go to the places that are one hundred percent taboo nowadays. You mean they use historically accurate terminology? Yeah, well, the word retarded, all it means is delayed. We know that. So, but everybody freaks out, so stop being retarded, people, and laugh about it. <laughs> so it skips ahead, and, like, his girlfriend's now a lesbian. College, she told His she girlfriend's told a lesbian? Yes. College wouldn't change her, and but it did drastically. Now she's a lesbian, and uh, she's a liberal lesbian. She's protesting the building of this, uh, you know, new chicken place on top of the ancient Indian burial ground that they had sex on. Um, <laughs> Hold on, not to sidetrack this, but do, did you ever see the movie Terror Firmer? I know you had to have seen it. I don't think I have. It doesn't ring a bell. Like, like okay, I'll give you the synopsis. The guy ends up being some hermaphrodite that gets his dick cut off from his dad, and he pickles it. <laughs> it's it's a Lloyd Coffin. It's a hell of a good movie, though, but it's an over-the-top type thing, too. I think I've seen that with you. Yes. Ugh. Yeah, he made me watch that. Okay. Uh, uh, whatever. That's a good, that's a good, whatever. It's a good but, movie. It's basically like but, this movie. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what you're getting with this. But, like, the, going back to the finger in the butthole thing, like, he's sitting there and he's trying to woo Wendy back. And she, she gives the vibe that she's not totally, like, all the way lesbian. Like, she's still kind of interested in him. But, like, the lesbian keeps trying to pull her away. Mickey, the lesbian, keeps pulling Wendy away from Arby. And so uh, he's he it's like you know his one thing that's going to save him. He thinks is he's like, look, I even saved the uh, you know the 
the item from our first time or whatever. And, she, and she's like, and it's even more rotted than it was. Like he's kept this, like, you know, the court, this corpse finger, you know, that was up his butt like years ago. Like he, he presents it like it was, you know, some kind of great sex toy they had. And she looks at him like, Ugh, get away from me. You know, that sort of thing. What the uh, nostalgia too? <laughs> Memories. <laughs> hey, women keep weird stuff after their first sexual. Oh encounter. my God. Hey, I'm just, it was special to him. Don't judge the guy. Um, but the scene that Noah's referencing is right shortly after Arby gets employed because that's how he's going to woo Wendy back is he's going to make a lot of money working a low level entry job at a, (laughs) you know, corporate chicken plate, you know, fast food place, you know, that really happens. Um, He uh, he he's he's assigned to uh, the front end, and he waits on Jared, which is obviously making fun of Jared from Subway, which is ahead of its time because this was before everybody obviously found out Jared's yes, dark yes. history. Now that you say that, now remembering it, it's a big old fat dude. It's the guy that's in all other Lloyd Kaufman. I'm trying to think of the guy's name, but he's in all the other Kaufman. It's this huge. This dude's massive. Oh, that's I'll right. find the name. Go ahead. Uh, keep going. So they they uh, they they give him the meal, but like the the possess the evil or well not evil the ancient Indian spirits who are you know or native spirits who are you know uh, angry they they started like you know, creating these like weird eggs or whatever that look you know completely rotten or whatever and one of them happens to roll and fall into uh, the onto the plate right as it's getting ready to be pushed out to Jared and while he's eating he you know obviously being a the fat ass that he was he couldn't help but like you know eat the weird egg too on top of everything else and so uh he like minutes after he eats it he starts getting uh, stomach problems and uh literally goes in and destroys the bathroom and you get to see most of it i mean it is some of the nastiest destroys <laughs> destroys the bathroom <laughs> and what happens is, is that like he literally his body explodes <laughs> and a skinnier version of him comes out and he's like it actually does work for weight loss as he's like leaving the bathroom completely destroyed oh my god yeah. okay that he, character uh his real name is joe Flyshaker. let me see flip it over let me see <laughs> yes that's the dude okay and he unfortunately passed away yes. in 2016 of a heart attack yeah. Yeah, but he's he's a, he's a staple in almost all Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, he's movies. literally in all all the films. Yeah. He's in, uh, and he plays the best horrible characters. Well, he's like, in Terra Farmer, like yeah. you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> Toxic Avenger, Poultry Guys, uh, the other Toxic Avenger films, uh, Tales from the Crapper, which sounds like he had his very own <laughs> in Poultry Guys. Um, he's a classically trained. Farts film. of Darkness. Yes, that's a classic. You got. Oh my God. You know, that's you smell very your own classically farts. trained. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> you, know, you know what other countries say about America? All American, like when we talk about comedy, because America's known for comedy, not, not other countries really do it. But all, everybody says American comedy is always fart and dick jokes. Well, you're right, <laughs> sir. You're right. <laughs> this movie like but the reason i say it's the perfect uh post 9-11 movie is it's got i mean literally got all of that it's got like you know it's got the stuff in there about how you know they they uh, you know one of the main characters is like a suicide bomber and like they played up for comedic effect you know they they're talking about it's it's got the nationalistic feel it's like rah rah you know america we're gonna ki- you know put a boot in your ass we're number one mentality if you ain't first um, you're last 
it's got all that it's got the it's it's got a lot of comments about you know corporate uh, fast food and corporate you know america in general uh but it, it doesn't play sides like it makes fun of the liberals in this movie about as much as it makes fun of the right wing so it it, it I, I give lloyd kaufman credit he's probably the most libertarian director when it comes to like just giving them hell on both sides yeah it's dude. fair and balanced it sounds like <laughs> dude he's I, I like him because he goes into the areas that you shouldn't go into. And, that, and that's what makes it awesome. I just want to give you a couple lines from one of the, there's a the duet between the, the two love interests in the movie, Jason and, and Kate. Oh, it's a musical. And fuck that. Yeah. So I got to give you the lines from this movie. And the second line and in particular that Kate sings, give you kind of the political, you know, bent that this movie has. And so Jason starts out saying, all of these fried chicken wings that I'm serving, they make me yearn for your breasts, legs, and thighs. My hunger for you is unswerving. Without you, my heart starves and dies. Then Kate responds back, all these protests and speeches I'm making to end chicken suffering and slaughter. His only response is that I'm faking that I'm gay like Dick Cheney's daughter. (laughs) Oh, that is awesome writing. I'm gonna next time for our anniversary. I'm gonna clip that top part and I'm gonna put that in like a, a card for you. Try it. You will be like, oh, that it. And then I, and and the scene after I, right after you read it, I'm gonna put a bucket of chicken in front of you. Let's eat this together. And here's a callback in verse again. five to the to the to the finger. Uh, since that night, all I have is self pleasure, bumping uglies, real hard. We did crying, tissue and hand cream. I try to remember how you stuck this thing, how you stuck this thing up my rear ender. <laughs> <laughs> how is that not funny to you? you? What the this hell? Is the movie we have. Oh my god, <laughs> that is awesome. This is not the poultry guys that I watched. <laughs> you didn't watch it. <laughs> I did watch a poultry geist. I just oh. didn't watch this one. Any further uh, comments about the movie before I move on to the rating and uh, we can move on to that poltergeist? No, I, let's. Well, wait, you might have you, some. You know, it would be awesome. And I, I don't know if it's going to happen after he dies, Lily Kaufman dies, but it'd be, it'd be, I don't know if they could even pull it off. It, it sounded like they'd be, get, get a ton of backlash. If they set up airings inside, um, all the major cities like marathons of Lloyd Kaufman's movies. Well, they have movie. What are those movie? Like they have festivals. Yes, and they play a lot of. Um, yeah, but these movies are super. They play edgy. a lot of risque stuff. No, in these. these are edgy. Like, like, what's the guy that did Beavis and Butthead? Mike Judge. Yeah, isn't a lot of his shit a little? No, I thought he had some Not crazy like shit. This. Okay, Not no, I like this. This is super edgy, boy. This is spicy. Like if the, the the topics he goes on like the like terraform is a prime example a hermaphrodite that gets his pecker cut off from his from his dad that was molesting him because you wanted him to be a little like that is the most over the top storyline that would offend so many people and not that but they they smash on both sides like he said Lloyd Kaufman's always been good about shitting on the, the dynamic like I said he's fair and balanced. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm saying though, it. I don't. I think if they even tried to do a festival, they'd get so many so much backlash from the left. Yeah, probably theaters probably wouldn't even allow it. And yeah, but it'd be awesome to go and just catch a marathon. Like you can do that. This I, is I, these not are, my forte. See, these are movies I don't think I would even take the kids to go. No, watch. absolutely not, and I would not allow that. I even I have limits. I'll just take it when you're not around. Yeah, you're driving Amazon. <laughs> Come on, kids, let's go down to the theater. Oh, my God. Poor kids. 
So the rating I'm going to give this is Willy's Wonderland. It's crazy oh. as fuck with undeveloped characters and just enough plot to string the madness together. Okay, you have to explain to the hubs because I've never Willy's told Wonderland. Him. I love that. Okay, he you you got to explain the rating because the hubs is not aware of our rating system for B films. So so this is the patent pending Nicolas Cage rating system where I take of the of the many many fine films that Nicolas Cage has made and produced over the years. Uh, I How take dare you say that? the movie basically to it as far as just like the general plot or just like the feel of the movies uh, in relation to something he's done. So what's the scale? Give me the, the range. Is it like a spectrum of how many? No, it like, could be any Nicolas Cage it's, it's film. It's literally that you, you can take okay. any movie he's ever been in okay. and say, okay, I give it this movie as the, or as the rating. And okay. Nicolas Cage it, has know, a range of films. This way. He has horrible <laughs> films and he has good films. So you can take any range. You can take the best film and be like, hey, this was a really good film. I chose blah, blah, blah because of this. And it doesn't have to relate to the film. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. But I think Willy's Wonderland, I think, fits in. I haven't seen it. but You haven't seen Willy's Wonderland? Not yet. But based on what I have seen of it, I would say that this fits really well. See, the problem is Nicholas Cage's character in Willy's Wonderland, in my opinion, sucked. And I don't think it was Nicolas Cage. I think no, it was, it was. He had full range. He had like full range of that film, right? He said what he wanted, what he wanted to do. I how think much they gave him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted uh, with that film. Yeah, because and- his character, you could have did so much with his character in that movie, and they did the. He did the bare minimum. Not the bare minimum. Well, not bare, yeah. The character, his character itself, was just like it was. It was almost a waste, is what it was. That was what he well, wanted his character to be. A waste? No, no, well, no, not a waste. He wanted his character to be exactly what he portrayed in the film. Like he didn't care, see, but he did care. Yeah, I would, I would argue that you've got to take this into consideration. Nicholas Cage did not act at all in Willy's Wonderland. So no, he, he did one of not. The best performances of his life in the movie Pig that just came out. Oh so yeah, gotta, he's got he's got to save it up, people. He's, he's got he's, he's got, got a, a wide he, range. What what's the movie he just did? Pig, and the kids wanted to see that too. It, it's it's is that artistic at all? Because it looks I'm not artistic like Soho, but. It, it it is more of an artistic film. They say it's kind of like a revenge film, but like revenge in the sense that he comes to realize that revenge is 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 more damaging to you than it is to the person you're trying to serve it to, or something like that. What's what's the um, movie about? What's the, the the framing of it? It it basically he's he's this guy who is a hermit that lives out in the woods, who's got this pig that you know that obviously the title that helps him hunt like truffles, and he's like this expert cook, like he he's like a chef that can like you know he he combines ingredients and makes like these masterpieces, but nobody gets to experience them because like he's only cooking for himself, and then like through the film it slowly he through the introduction of another character that he becomes attached to, which is this kid who's in a bad situation, he become he basically. It, reveals his story and why he's is a hermit and like he and i don't and i don't really know the setup so i'm speaking out of term on this but it's like almost like he had like a run-in with like you know like a mob or some kind of like situation like that and went through this you know cycle of death and all this that like just he, he you know totally burned him out on everything and that's why he moved away from society basically someone stole his pig too and sends him on this <laughs> what, what, was it a good movie at all by any margin it's 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 rated like one of the best movies that, like, especially really that he's ever done but like just wow. fantastic like across the board like the 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 way that the characters are developed the the acting that he puts into it specifically like all of it it's like so not so he phones in willie's wonderland and then he <laughs> actually he actually shows up to the other one 
Let's be honest. That's was Willy Wonder <laughs> Willy's Wonderland ever going to be a masterpiece of sorts? But it had a lot. It had a lot of good prince like premises to make a good horror movie. Maybe they didn't make it a great movie because they literally ripped off Five Nights at Freddy's. I know, so the framework was there. It you, was, you, but you like, had a lot to pull from. Did they get the rights to do that though? It doesn't matter. They made the movie anyways. Yeah, that's true. But I don't, uh, Reverend, what's your take on that? On what? They literally ripped off a really popular kids horror game and made used all of the characters in the film that they have in the game, but I don't think they got any kind of permission. Like I don't see anything Well they they, they twisted it. They're not exactly the same. They basically took like the show or Shonies or whatever, you know, model, like let's have these creepy, you know, animatronics. And let's make up our own. You know, Willie's a weasel in Willie's Wonderland. And then they go on from there. There's like some kind of character that's like this almost human-like pixie or whatever. And she's like hyper-sexual. Like she, she, I think she ends up trying to dry hump you while she's stabbing you <laughs> or something. It's, 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 it's just, but I mean, they take the framework of Five Nights at Freddy's where you're in the, you know, rundown Shonies with the, at night with the, you know, animatronics. Yeah. And even my and kids are like, from there. I asked the daughter, I'm like, Hey, did they use the Five Nights at Freddy's character? She's like, yes, they did. So even if they're not exactly, they're pretty much 99% accurate. <laughs> Let's let's just give credit where it's due. the The whole Five Nights at Freddy's probably and and probably wouldn't even be a thing if it wasn't for the fact that the guys at Red Letter Media tried to make fun of one of their main guys on that channel, uh, uh, Rich Evans, uh, by posting this real creepy picture of Rich whenever he was a kid uh, at a Shoney's next to the Shoney's bear that said uh, uh, "Dick the Birthday Boy," yes, uh, which yes. is a meme on the internet, and that's probably <laughs> what led to Five Nights at Freddy's to begin with. So let's give Red Letter Media the their, their credit on all of this. Dick I mean, the they even mentioned boy. in their video that they probably were the inspiration for Willy's Wonderland. And there's one more movie. It's a, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's based upon the banana Rama people or something like that. That's the same setup as all. This. Oh yeah. yeah. That's not too bad. That's actually, I watched that with the kids. The banana, was it the banana, banana splits or. Yes. Oh God, I forget what it was called. <laughs> no, I remember that. That, that. that was, I, I, I thought that was the name of the movie too. I'm trying to think. It, it probably is. I I don't really remember that one specifically. Yeah, because it looks like they had got rights. Because they're actually, or you know that, but it was just maybe I don't quite know. But that was basically the banana splits. Yeah, it, it was the banana splits. Yeah, and oh that one's a God. horror one. It doesn't even look like so, it. Which is so funny. But but anyways, the the rating system is is basically that you just you know basically take any Nicolas Cage movie and just kind of you know throw you know throw it out there as a rating for the movie. So uh, because as Community pointed out, uh, is Nicolas Cage good or is he bad as an actor? There's yes. no answer to that yeah. because he's it's, both. It's just and, a yes and, and not both <laughs> at the same time. Oh my god, it's so fucking true. Is he good or bad? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as Abed would say, who's a sexy cat? <laughs> God. <laughs>If you like this episode of November's What's Up in the Holler, please look forward to our season two premiere of Poltergeist. Death Holler is brought to you by Los Diablos Blancos Network with your host, the Reverend Dr. Death and La Yarena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. You can hear us on most podcast platforms. We hope to catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.